It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The fun forever It's at the end of the episode. That's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, January twentieth, and you're listening to episode three hundred and ninety-nine. Three nine nine. It's crazy. 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 Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. That's uh I mean three hundred and ninety-nine weeks that you've been doing this podcast. Of course, there's been a couple of breaks here and there, but that's that's pretty cool. No, we've we have never not published an episode. That is three hundred and ninety-nine really? straight weeks every single Monday, never missed an episode. Wow. What have you been doing with your life, Jason? <laughs> Recording this stupid podcast, Julio. What do you think? <laughs> so well, that's cool, man. Congratulations. Thanks. Uh, yeah. The next one's gonna be a big one. Oh yeah. It's yeah, I'm gonna do the I'm gonna pull the walking dead maneuver. I'm just gonna stop. I'm just not gonna do it. They like we're up to like they're about to like episode, I don't know, like issue like I don't know, some big number, and they just stopped four episodes early and that was the end. Yeah. So Oh really? Yeah. Huh. which was pretty pretty cool, I guess. I don't know. I stopped reading it a long time ago. Are you but. Are you talking about the show or the comic? The comic. The comic, yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, I read the comic and and I, I guess I stopped maybe three years ago, so I, I don't know where they're at. So. Yeah, I gave up on it as well eventually, so. But anyway, so yes, if you can't tell, this is Julio with me. Uh, we are recording. Hello, so. everybody. It's been a bit since I uh, got to record with you. We had the holidays and stuff, so uh, I've had a lot of guest hosts yeah, filling man. in. Yeah, the holidays were were great. I uh, so I bought a house in North Carolina back in April. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of family members over for the holidays, like my three, my sister's three kids, and my mom was over as well. And then my sister and her husband came came along later in the holidays, and we had a full house. It was it was uh, nice and hectic at the same time. So. <laughs> I bet. Did you uh But that you, only meant Does uh does some of your family still live in Puerto Rico or no are they all Oh yeah. Um okay. Yeah man. It my uh well I mean my mom came from Puerto Rico to visit uh but yeah my mom and dad and my my wife's uh parents and sisters are are still there and it's been crazy for the past 10 days man. They Yeah. With yeah. all the earthquakes and I mean, when I lived there, I lived there for 22 years and I probably experienced three earthquakes and they were all probably in the fours. Uh, so earthquakes in Puerto Rico weren't really a thing. And right. now 10 days, there's been thousands, Right. not hundreds, not thousands. You know, it's, That's terrible. it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. And some of them were in the, uh, in the yeah. fives, right? Like the high fives. No, there was six, sixes too. Oh, were there? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I purposely yeah, it, don't read the news a lot, but I did hear about that. So, yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, thoughts and, and prayers and for everybody there in Puerto Rico, it's been pretty crazy. Hopefully the tectonic plates will settle down a bit because yeah. I guess the, the, the last big recorded earthquake was like 100 years ago. So that's kind of, you know, I guess it's time for, for that movement of the plates. I see. I see. Interesting, but to something a little more, uh, uh, you know, 
fun and and design wise and, and just you know with the holidays a lot of cool things happened you know having the kids over i got to play with them a lot of games uh, i got to play test a couple of my kids games excellent um, but i actually i actually played a couple of published games nice um, so so the kids were 16 13 and 6 okay and of course range. the little one yeah, the little one was the one that wanted to play most of the time, every night. <laughs> right. So, so a lot of my kids' games, like uh, Climbing for Coconuts, which was the second place uh, Korea Board Games uh, contest this year. Right. She wanted to play that a lot. And, you know, I, at this point, I, I wasn't really making any changes to it. So I was like, well, I don't want to play it anymore. And setting up the game is kind of like a hassle, which is one of the reasons why the game was second. Um, and, and I also had the dragon forest, which is a ring tossing game. She enjoyed that one too, but the game, yeah, the game that we played the most, you're not going to guess which one it is. Fallen treasures by Mr. Robert couch. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I was, she was like, I want to play some games and I wasn't going to bring mine out. So I'm like, let, look, let's, let me look at this collection and see what has, you know, around her age range. And I didn't really have that many kids games. And Robert's uh, game, Fallen Treasures, is uh, uh, seven plus and it goes up to six people. Ah, yes. So I'm like, I, have, I hadn't played it. So I'm like, let's try it out. And the game is solid, man. Um, we played that game. I'm not kidding. Probably 25 plus times. Wow. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a great game. So if anybody that, you know, back then on the Kickstarter or has the opportunity to get it, get it. It's a great filler game. It plays in 10 to 15 minutes. It's got, it got It has some good uh, depth. And, you know, a six-year-old was competitive in the game. And I wasn't letting her win or anything. So that was pretty cool. Yep. That's great. Really cool. How about your side? What, what's been going on? Oh, I've been staying busy, uh, kind of getting back into the swing of things now that everyone is back at work and school, uh, which is kind of nice because it was just there was a lot of us here for a long time. So I didn't get as much done as I normally would. Uh, but I'm kind of back into that. Um, working on a couple different projects. Uh, I'm sending out a lot of pitches right now, trying to get kind of a jump start on con season with a few things that I think are already ready so that I don't have to hold off oh, on nice. those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's some publishers where it's just, it's pretty easy to send out to them. Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess from, from, from the, the, uh, listener's perspective, the builder's perspective, it has been a week since they heard of you. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, I, I listen to the podcast too, so there's not, I guess not <laughs> that much going right. on, I guess. Right. But so um, for, on my side, however, there's been a couple of other things. I didn't mention last time that I was in the talk and talks about signing a game. So uh, this is the first time I'm saying that, but I've officially signed the game with awesome. Academy Congrats. Games. With who? Yeah, yeah, they're Ac- Academy Games. Oh, awesome, awesome. Very cool. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, thanks. I'll I'll, pro- I'll share it at Twitter at some point. I think tomorrow probably. Uh, but it, it's a... It's a they're they're known for their war games, but they've actually started to expand into uh, a more uh, 
of a hobby crowd as well. Cool. Uh, so cool. they started a new line of games. They did kind of the whole um, next move. Uh, what's the what's their other line? The the Azul publisher. Um, yes. Shoot. Uh, well, you know they have their next move line, which is their four letter. You know, gateway games under 45 minutes, but they also got their pretzel games line, which is like dexterity games. And they they got their Century Spice Road line, which I can't believe I, I it doesn't come to mind. Um, <laughs> anyway, so so Academy Games started their uh, what is it? Um, Apollo, uh, Apollo Games line. And and my game is going to be on that one. So awesome. I mean, Congrats. this is a. And this is all, you know, it, it'll be far off, but, you know, the publisher is okay with me sharing at least that. So we'll see what happens in the future. Excellent. That's fantastic. Um, that did remind me that I uh, just this week got to meet with uh, Elf Creek, who's got one of my games that they've signed. Uh, we haven't announced oh. the name of the game or what it is, uh, but they are. So we were doing some work on that this week. It was a lot of fun talking to them. Uh, it's been a little bit since I've chatted with them. And so adding some new stuff. And so I'm working on that. That's exciting. Uh, you know, they're doing a lot of the development, but I'm getting to at least provide some feedback and help. And when they're stuck on things, they'll ask me. And so, um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, it's a cool game. Uh, I've got on the one of the other games I talked about that I did with an education company that got a little delayed. Uh, they had some printing uh, things slow it down a bit, um, but should that should be coming out hopefully in the near future. I'll be able to actually talk all about that game as soon as it is as soon as it hits the street. Uh, but it's not, um, I've promised them I won't say anything on the podcast till I have a copy in my hand. So, which hopefully be in the next two to three weeks. I'm hoping. So we'll see. Uh, won't definitely won't be talking about it next week cause it'll be episode 400. Uh, but hopefully I can talk about it after that ish. So yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not like you're going to be stopping the podcast anytime soon. So the builders will have a chance to right, hear more right. about it. No, it's not. It's and then not they'll get tired anywhere. of hearing about it. Yes. Yes, they will. <laughs> like they get tired of other things. Not my problem. Yeah, and I don't have to listen. And to by myself. the way, the 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 other line that I was talking about is Plan B games. So yeah, Plan, Plan B, B games, Next Move, and Pretzel games are kind of under the same company. Cool, very cool. Um, another thing that happened is that I got my copy of the the game designers documentary. Um, I don't know if you ever, you saw that it was on Kickstarter. I did see that it was on Kickstarter, yeah. It's, uh, so I actually got like the collector's edition, which has like extended interviews. Basically, the, the game designer's documentary um, focuses on five designers and their, I guess, their take on the hobby. And two of the designers are actually new designers. And the other one designer is like, I guess, has a, two or three games published and then the other two are pretty well-known designers so the well designers are the well-known designers are um matt leacock and antoine bauza oh uh, cool and you know matt leacock pandemic and and uh what is it forbidden skies forbidden uh, forbidden island forbidden, forbidden skies desert forbidden desert all yeah forbidden all the forbidden games yeah and yeah, and uh, Antoine Bauza, of course, uh, Seven Wonders and Tokaido and Hanabi. Um, and then Kelly Adams is the designer. She's got a couple games coming out, I think. One is Mystical Chairs by WizKids, I think. And then two other designers from actually North Carolina um, because the guy that 
did the documentaries from North Carolina. So the two guys are actually from game designers in North Carolina. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, one was kind of like from a Kickstarter perspective, doing his first Kickstarter in that process, and one was actually doing his first game. <laughs> so wow. it's a very interesting take because you see like the whole, oh, this guy doing his first game, and then this these guys that have one spilled his Yaris and all that stuff. Right, that's pretty awesome. So if anybody has the opportunity to buy, I think you can probably buy it online. The, I get, it's Zoom Out Media. Is the the publish I guess the person that published it, and they have some extended interviews. Man, those are some really good ones. I uh, uh, I saw the one of the extended interviews with Matt Leacock, and they were like on his at his house. Mm-hmm. He was explaining his his playtesting process and showing it on the computer. Basically, he he does a lot of uh, remote playtesting, and. He, you know, he gets these videos and starts watching them. And he has the this log of everything that he sees and he's writing it down. And man, just seeing all that data, I'm 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 I was so overwhelmed and I'm like, man, I'm I'm such a noob because you you can't imagine how much data in just one playtest that he he had. Right. And right. It was it was pretty. It was pretty cool. It was. Uh, I've been kind of uh, chipping at it little by little because the whole thing probably has like ten hours. So, wow. Of uh, extras. It's a pretty cool little thing for you all, uh, game designers out there. Very cool. Ah, uh, so you want to get to a topic? Sure. So, uh, I guess I didn't tell you in advance. So. Uh, but my topic that I was going to bring is, so there's a thing going on with the industry right now. And, you know, the, people, a lot of people say this, the whole bubble and stuff, it's nothing like that. But but I do see like a, a constriction going on, like mm-hmm. uh, in a sense of publishers are, are winding back on releases and how many games they're signing. And you see a lot of uh, publishers actually merging or just, you know, just not uh, running out of business and stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, my, my topic would actually be, from a designer's perspective, what can we do to support the industry in this time? Because there's always going to be a lot of games coming out, and, it's not, and the industry is still growing. I, I, you know, year over year, there's more attendance in conventions and more games coming out, more publishers. But there's going to be a, a moment where things are going to slow down or, or, you know, or maybe decline a bit. But I think it's just going to slow down. Right. And and as designers, my my concern is that what can we do in a sense of our designs and how can we make sure that what we show to publishers or what it is published out there is to a certain standard? Um so the question is, if you have a game that plays well, the question is, should you still pursue publishing it? And 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 I'm not saying that you shouldn't design it because there's oh a lot of people just want to design games and have fun with them and play them themselves. But there are sometimes games that while they're you know they're playable and they are balanced, uh, 
they may not be the best games to be out on the market. And that is, of course, for the market to decide. But I just wanted to, you know, touch a couple of points there and, and see what are your thoughts on it too. So so if I'm understanding right, you're saying, because it sounded like you said, if you got a game that's pretty good, but it's not great, should you even bother be pitching that, bother to pitch that? Because maybe that's not what the market needs right now. Is that... Yeah, yeah, in a sense, in a sense, because I, I know, you know, if you believe in your game and then you can do the work to make it better and bring it up to that standard. But and and it's funny coming from me because I, I design a lot of games and and I try to get them to a certain standard. But at least in this year, I've actually slowed down in a sense of kind of catching my breath and starting to do a little more development on the games that I've already designed um, that still need some work. And while I've already done that initial uh, play testing and the game is at a good state, I want to bring it to a higher level because I don't want to, at this point, be uh, pitching games that may not be to a standard that a publisher is looking for these days. I don't know. I personally don't feel like publisher standards have changed all that much um, from when I started. You know, I mean, the publishers have changed, right? And certain publishers, yes, are looking for a higher standard. But there's, I mean, there's so many publishers out there still. I think what you're seeing is, um, in my opinion, it's not that... Hmm. It's not like publishers are suddenly saying, I want better games, but they're reacting to the amount of designers out there because there's so many designers out there now. And a lot of them are putting out, you know, they're designing really good, really cool stuff and they're, they're showing it to publishers. So it's kind of like the bar has been raised by the designers, right? Sometimes us, sometimes other people, um, where we're designing things that are better than the average design maybe used to be. Um, and that, or, you know, the average, yeah, when I say the average design, meaning there are always going to be really good games and really bad games, but, you know, kind of that level of development and what's good, that's probably trending up on its own. And because of that, the publishers have better choices, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I like this because we're, I guess we're, we're a little at odds here where I, I don't completely agree with you in the sense of, I know that designers have raised the bar in a sense, but that has caused publishers to reevaluate what they're looking for. Um, so for example, when I was at PAX Unplugged, uh, late last year, I, I spoke with a specific publisher that is a pretty big publisher and they're like, I pitched a specific game and they're like, I have a, like a, a rhetoric of, uh, you know, one to 10 when I see a pitch. And at this point, I, if I see something that's a five or a six, I'll bring it to my team and see if what we can do in the sense of the, can we bring this game to a, to a nine or a 10? Because that's kind of what the, what the industry is looking for right now. But that again, that uh, bar keeps changing in a sense of he he mentioned specifically, you know, we used to, you know, if, if a game had something unique or a hook or, or or something like that, we would consider it and sometimes sign it and do that development and bring it to a higher level, but not to the level that the market is looking for right now. Um, so so there so publishers are getting 
very picky. Um, right. I, I and I agree. Sense. I agree with that. I think I think though, if you look at there's three big pieces to the hobby game design market, in my opinion, right? There's the designers, okay. there's the customers, and there's the publishers. And I think when it comes to the publishers seeking, you know, quote, better games or more developed games uh, to sign, I think that is a reaction to to two. Th- I think the publishers are the last one to the party on that, basically, is what I'm saying. Like, as designers design, more designers are designing better stuff, right? Some publishers are automatically getting some better stuff, right? Just because of that. The the public is reacting to that, the customer base is, and they're then gravitating, they're rewarding those better games with more sales. And then the publishers are saying, oh wait, this is what's happening. We should make sure we're getting the best games we can. Now, I wanna be clear that I think a lot of publishers, especially smaller publishers, have been doing that for a long time because that's how they succeed and that's how they survive, right? You know, if, if Asmodee, has five bombs in a row, they're still going to be cashing plenty of checks and making plenty of games. But if um smaller company that I can't think of, I don't want to pick on any companies anyways, but if a, you know, a mid-sized company <laughs> has three, two or three flops in a row, that's probably done for them, you know? So it, it's on them to be seeking a higher quality. I think though what you're seeing too is You've got your your big publishers, right? Your non-Hasbro stuff, but your big mass market publishers, they are realizing what they can do with mass market with some of the hobby stuff if it's perfect, right? If it's made in a way that is accessible to mass market, but also, you know, good for for the hobby game market as well, right? Then they're kind of hitting both those markets. So I don't know. That's kind of where I stand on that. I'm notoriously wrong about lots of stuff, though. So that all could just be. That's my. That's what my gut tells me. But I could be very, very wrong about all of that. Yeah, and and I see your point. But if you really think about, let's say, like you you said earlier, we've got we probably I don't know tripled the amount of designers from when you started to to now, maybe. I don't know, five times the amount of designers that when you started. Yeah, five, five um, times, honestly, is probably closer than, than triple. I, I, there's a lot more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's. Let, I just think that, that the amount of games are just a percentage of the amount of designers. So there's more designers, so there's better great games, right? But at this point, even though the industry is growing and the customer base to a point obviously dictates what they want right and what publishers are looking for Mm -hmm. but there's only so much that that public can support at this point and when you've got again the big publishers the medium publishers and the smaller publishers everybody wants a piece of that pie and of course that those pieces start getting smaller and smaller because there's more of them out there more of them popping up and that's why like I was saying earlier, you see, you start to see stuff like indie boards and cards and stronghold games merging and and making indie game studios because, okay, two medium-sized uh, pieces of the pie can maybe get a, a big size, share resources and, and use those resources to a better, uh, 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 get a better product. Right. Uh, and also you see something like, um, oh shoot, I had it in my mind and it left me. Uh, Oh, um, 
AEG. AEG just uh, like they announced earlier in the last year that they were going to wind down on the amount of games that they were going to put out every year. Like 2018, I think they released around 20 games. And uh, John Sinsler did on said on his blog, I'm I'm thinking of opting that quality and focusing on marketing a game, and and doing four or five games a year because we want to make sure that if we're gonna back a game, we want to make sure it's a winner. Of course, there's still flops and all that, but you have seen at least from their perspective last year, it actually worked to a, to a sense because you think AEG, and I guess the one that comes to mind is. Um, uh, Tiny Towns, uh, Point Salad, and Edge of Darkness. Those are three of the five, and those games, I think, have been great hits. Even something like Point Salad, which is a 108-card game, it has been huge. You've seen a lot of right. it out there, and, and, and people just uh, like it. It, it because it has gotten to one, one thing that I'd said, the marketing. Because as of now, it's all been a lot of word of mouth. And... And I think that marketing branch shouldn't be underestimated, especially in this digital age. And publishers have not been using it very well in the past because, of course, they have limited resources, right? They don't have that much money to, to back into, the mar- into that marketing, and they want to use it into resources of art or developing the game and stuff like that. Right. So there's two thoughts I have on that. Um, one is... When a company like AEG says, hey, we're going to slow down, we're going to focus on quality um, so that we can market these games better, I mean, what, they're, what they're really saying is we're making too many games and we're not making enough money at the games we're making. So we're going to make less games, put more money into marketing and production and make more money. Um, you know what I mean? That's, that's the thing about it. It's not that I, I refuse to believe that any company of their size is is saying, you know, I just feel like our games just aren't good enough quality. So let's really make them higher quality because they're they're making quality games. Now, when I say that, I mean like components and things like that. Um, are all their games like good? I'm sure most of their games are good. I haven't played all their games, but some of their games are very good and sell very well. Um, but I really think that what you're seeing is you're seeing a cost savings perspective. Some of that is probably reaction to the economy, uh, things like tariffs and stuff like that. Um, but the other thing that I want to say is, and this is, this is the bigger thing. When you talk about, uh, um, indie boards and cards and stronghold merging, one of the things you said was, and maybe you heard them say this, or maybe they're advertising it as this, like we came together because we can now make better games and like that is a real I, I, nothing against either of those. I think they're both cool companies and I'm not trying to like, you know, down talk these companies. But like the fact of the matter is the thing that those companies are doing is they're trying to save money because they want their companies to survive. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And when they can buy that catalog. Uh, that's a ton of of things they're getting. Um, you know, games they're getting from Stronghold, for instance. Because I know it's kind of a merger, but it's m- more so that you know uh, that indie boards and cards is. I mean, it's going to be called indie but, board, indie studios, yeah. right? So, <laughs> yeah. so there's a reason for that. It's not going to be called Stronghold Studios. Um, but uh, yeah. So, anyways, yeah. Uh, yeah but but that, you said it yourself. You, you you said it yourself in the sense of they won't be able to survive if they keep going the way they're going. 
And that's why I'm saying that the, the market has shifted into this thing that, you know, we can't support everybody and somebody will have to go in a sense. And that's why publishers are more risk averse for that reason. They can't afford to make that mistake that may cost them their, com their company. Oh, I totally agree with that. But that's not a quality issue. That's not a we need to be making better games issue. What they're saying is we need to save money while we make more marketable games. And I, I may be a bit of a cynic about things like this um, because having been in the industry now for a while and really seeing a lot of companies, it, it really is about survival and in a lot of times, right? Like these aren't like huge for, for an AEG, right? It's, it's, I don't think it's about survival. It's about maximizing profits while putting out good games, right? Um, now, when I say for smaller companies, it's about survival. That doesn't mean it's not about putting out good games. Putting out good games is key to their survival, right? Um, but the fact of the matter is yeah, when you yeah. look at these small businesses, again, they're one or two bad games away from closing, right? I mean, that's that's the real and that's a, that's just a norm at this point right <laughs> they're just they're, because i mean a lot of people like our you know katarski he 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 his company is supports his his main job or vice versa so he's not full-time publisher correct uh yeah right i mean right now he he was for a while he was for a while and when he was things are very critical doing that you know what i mean like him really focusing on like we, we need to make another game it needs to be a quality game because it needs to do well right um, you know, yeah. so I and, I, and, and you did say, <laughs> go ahead. Well, I, what I'm I like trying, this, I like, like the way I felt like you were saying quality, cause like we're both saying quality, right. But in you tell me if I'm, if I'm hearing you wrong, but the way I heard you say quality was they want to make like, like, like you were saying it from a, from like an in a vacuum way. Like, you know, I just really want to make a more quality game. Like I want to make a better game because people deserve a better game. That's what I heard you saying. What I'm saying is people, they want to make a better game. Sure. They want to make a better game because it's better for people, but in the end they want to make a better game because it will sell more copies. And there's nothing wrong with that. They are in business. This is their livelihood, right? So yeah, yeah, but it is important. It is very important to define that what because you did mention a good game, and and you've probably heard this, but good is not good enough anymore. And 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 in a sense, I have seen that that's true because there are so many good games, so many good games out there that come out, and two weeks later you don't hear a peep about them, and they're gone. And, that is you know, very uh, that's true. Probably gonna, very true. Yeah, that's probably that's probably gonna happen to to a couple of my games, if not all of them. Uh, right. You know, I, I'm super excited right now, and they none of them have come out, but they may just you know do a, a little blip and then they're gone. Well, so, and, and I'm kind of preparing myself for that, but I do right. believe, of course, that my games are great and all that. But there's also you know what does the market dictate? Right, and, and see, and that's it, the the other thing is it doesn't matter that your games are great, right? I believe that they are, and I because I've played a lot of your games. I've loved, well, I played several of your games, and I've loved them. Um, but what? So this is where an AEG model makes a lot of sense, right? Because when AEG is putting out twenty games a year, they're not getting the attention they want for every game, right? Because, and I'm not. I yeah. want to say this. I'm not going to speak about AEG here. I'm not going to name the company I'm speaking of. But um, and I think you've seen this too. I think we've talked about this company before, where you will see them push a game out 
and it will be the biggest thing they've ever, they're like, oh my gosh, look at this game. And it is every, like their whole booth, everything is this game, right? Yeah. Two months later at the next convention, it's like that game doesn't even exist. Um, <laughs> and uh, right. You and I had a conversation about this, right? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. But yeah, I know, I know what you're saying, and it is one of those things. Again, you may have a a, a good or great game, and you may market it well, and may it may still flop because it's not just about quality marketing, uh, funding. It's also about timing, and there is such there's a great uh, blog post from Nathan McNair, the that one guy of the co-presidents is, of a that guy is like of. A, too smart like oh my gosh reading his blog posts he is really really smart that guy <laughs> yeah and just so the, 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 the just so the the listeners know nathan mcnair he's the president of pandasaurus with molly wardraw he yep. did a fantastic blog post about uh you know what it is you know about the the great game and good game and he 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 did a fantastic uh comparison a metaphor with uh i guess it was uh root right how you know root is super popular and then uh, another game that is not as good as root let's say it's 90 percent as good as root let's call it little root i think that's why he, he did yep, but yep. that game just because it's 90 percent uh as good as root doesn't mean that it's gonna sell 90 percent as good as root <laughs> so well, so that is one thing why why that that bar right now of how great a game has to be for it to you know stand out not just with hook not just with theme not just with mechanisms marketing timing there's just so many variables that of course not many of us can control right but at least as the designer you can definitely control from what you're going to be pitching to that publisher that is when i say quality i mean on the design front how great is that game and of course there we can't be sometimes objective in that sense we of course i think all my games are great right um but that's why you play test right so when you play test you can you can gauge so much now as a as a designer i you know i feel like i've grown in the past um i'm you know i guess two and a half years now um that i when i play test now i'm not just looking at how the mechanisms works work I'm also looking at the playtesters and how their interaction with the game. How how are they? How is this experience? And and that can tell you a lot when you playtest uh, and and how that uh, I guess reception of that design is. And and that can give you a, of course an a, a small view into what it can be. Of course, you gotta widen your circle of playtesters and stuff like that to get different perspectives, but. But when you get a lot of people interested in the game and asking about your game and, and that kind of stuff, then you definitely are on the right track, to say the least. The other thing, though, like I, I agree with all of that, right? But thinking back to Nathan McNair's article, because this is a really good point, and I was enamored with that article. I think it was really smart. Um, you know, he talks about Root and Little Root. I actually forgot about that, right? Um, but the thing he didn't talk about was that, you know, if that game was 50% as good as Root, but had a different like hook that got people excited about it, it still might not matter. It still may sell better. Like 
I mean, I we look at the Kickstarter market, right? And the games that go gangbusters on there, like the a lot of those, they're not like they're not like uh some of the party game stuff, right? They're not changing the world by any means. They're making so much money, like so much, right? Um and it's it's not because they're they're like these world changing games, like you know, cer- certain games can be, right? Um it's because they are hitting the right market in the marketing side, right? It's that timing issue you're talking about. So I think that that's something to remember as well. Um, you know, when you see like an amazing game on Kickstarter that like fails because it just, you know, it just it didn't match with the Kickstarter audience. And then you see like a silly party game, you know, like a Cards Against Humanity clone or something that makes $200,000 it's you know i mean that is first of all a little disheartening but second of all (laughs) it it really kind of begs the question of like what does quality really matter when you have a stupid hook that people get excited about now to be clear i think that is more true for kickstarter right and i think that is why you see some companies um the size of pandasaurus still sometimes doing kickstarters i want to be clear i just realized what that may have sounded like not because those games are bad or stupid but because they understand no, no. that the timing and the marketing will do better if they put it out in front of people in that way. That's what I mean by that. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, Kickstarter at this point has grown to a great marketing tool. And that's just the truth. Yeah. Because yeah, it's a super right cheap now, marketing people, tool. Exactly. And people are just going to Kickstarter just to see, you know, shopping around like they would do on Amazon and and eBay and stuff like that at this point. They're not well, when, when really you've got going a company, to back a specific publisher. Right. <laughs> when you've got a company like Pandasaurus or Restoration Games or something putting something on Kickstarter, it, it's a pre-order. You know it's going to deliver. It's just how fancy is it going to be when I get it, <laughs> right? I mean, that's really what you're trying to answer. Uh, how, how much fancier can we get the game to be? I mean, look at Dinosaur Island, right? It started as a pretty simple game that ended up ridiculous by the time it was done. That box weighs like 100 pounds, um, because it was it was what the market wanted right then, right? And that's a cool game, yeah. Too, and, so, and but here's here's another view, I guess. With let, let's talk about Kickstarter. When you started uh, designing Kickstarter, you know, it used to be the whole you know kickstarting. I want to bring my my vision to life and that kind of stuff. And right now, from I guess from the public perspective, you're like you see a game and. If it doesn't have at least half the art and has a good-looking prototype, has some previews from from the Dice Tower or Rado Plays and stuff like that, then I'm not gonna back it. Um, so, so that you you have seen that shift, and we we want to see people like the creators put more money on their products before they they show it on Kickstarter and that and that kind of stuff, and that's why it's going towards the whole pre-order or and that kind of. Uh, uh, part of it. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with you on that. I think that, you know, oh, Kickstarter, it's this interesting, interesting thing. Um, it's a great tool, um, but it's, you know, I mean, it's got its, it's got its flaws, right, and its troubles, but it's also got the reasons why it's fantastic. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's, again, there's a couple of different views, and, and this is something that if uh, Jason or Nicole can can chime on if they listen to the episode. I don't know if they listen to the episode, but... Um, I can bring it up next time brings... we uh, record as well to get their opinions <laughs> on it. Um, 
No, and I, I you know, I, I said when I'm talking about like, I just want to be clear when I say things like they're doing this because they want to make more money or they, they're not trying to necessarily make a better game. They're trying to make a better seller, right? Um, to be clear, I don't think any of that is a bad thing, right? Um, you know, if like, for instance, let's say that a publisher, uh, let's take, uh, I don't know, big, AG, let's, we're picking on them a lot. So let's take AG. Let's say AG has a game, right? And it is mm-hmm. like, they play test it with gamers, uh, with, with people like us in the hobby game market. Right. And it play tests it like a 10, right? Like on a rating scale, like consistent tens across the board, they play test it with mass market. Um, when they're trying to hit both with this, right. And it play tests at a five and they're like, well, crap. So they make some tweaks and now suddenly for mass market, it's play testing at an eight and for gamers, it's play testing at an eight, right? They're gonna yeah. they're gonna they're gonna publish the game that's playtesting in an eight, and they absolutely should. Even though theoretically, if you're talking about the hobby game market, they've made that game worse, right? But they've made a game that is still very good and that they really could sell. Um, and there's that's totally cool. Like, you know, um, I, I make an expansion pack for the hobby game market that, you know, makes it the 10 again, I guess. But um, you know, I, I think that's there's nothing wrong with that decision. Um, you know, the only thing would bother me is if you're knowingly putting out garbage with a really good hook, you know, that's not cool. <laughs> but a company like AEG or, or Pandasaurus or whatever, they're not going to do that, right? Because they believe in their reputation. Um, so, yeah. And again, that's why I'm saying uh, what can we do as designers, right? Because as designers, we can do our research and search uh, for publishers that may fit this game. And another thing that has changed since, let's say, since you started and since I started or right now, um, when you used to pitch games, you would look for a publisher that had a game very similar to yours. And it was very, uh, it was a big incentive for them to say, oh, this game is a lot like this game on our line. I, I, I may sign it or let's consider it. But right now, there's that shift of we don't want a game that is like right. ours because it's going to compete, right? Right. So, again, they're going for something different, something unique. And and from our perspective, we can help on making sure curating our designs towards the publishers that may fit it in not just what they've done in the past, but maybe getting that third eye <laughs> hat and and see what may, they may be looking for in the future or what you may see that they may publish. I think as designers, the single most important thing we can do is attempt to bring in diverse voices and diverse perspectives. Um, because when you want to talk about growing the audience or making board games identify with people more or you know have a quality level that gets people's attention, diverse voices are the way to do that. Um, you know, having, having all those different views and perspectives that makes better games because that makes games that are, you know, um, that fit with lots of people or fit with specific groups of people who don't get, you know, as much love in board games as they should. I'm not saying anyone specific. I'm just saying, you know, in general. And I think that, you know, that as designers, you know, helping out, people to make sure that we're getting those diverse voices in to the community. I think that's one of our big jobs because 
publishers don't always see everyone, right? Publishers see the people they know. Yeah. And I think what we're going to see in the next three to five years is more of that, more of publishers working with the people they know and le- and making it harder and harder for new voices to break in. So it's on us to find ways to help those voices be there and be a part of this. That's my soapbox. Yeah, yeah I mean, that that's 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 a pretty uh that's a great way of putting it for sure that's that's something yeah i hadn't considered that and yeah just make just opening the door for those other voices to to be a part of this industry and bringing that that new perspective as well because that you know <laughs> i mean just just think about this last year elizabeth hargrave winning kennerspiel des yaris on her first published game and that is fantastic. And there's probably a lot of other people like her that are working on their first game. And it has that potential to be something truly great. But if we have a wall that publishers are just working with people that they worked in the past, we, we, we can definitely, if we can do anything about that, we should. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's a, a great way of uh, tie a bow on it. Well, if you want to uh, pitch a game, I suggest, sir, you get pitching. Okay, okay. So let's uh, let's do some workshopping here. So this game is called uh, Ying Yang. And it's a, a pure abstract game that I designed last year. And this has been one of those games that I thought of it. I thought it was a fantastic idea. I tried it, play tested a couple times, and then abandoned it because... It just wasn't working, and I got stuck, and I haven't been able to work on it since. I actually, while I was thinking about doing it for the podcast, I had an idea. Oh, good. Which I may try. But, <laughs> but uh, so basically, in, this game is called Yin Yang. It is a abstract game where you have a magnetic board that is six by six. And this board is actually split into two. So you have a three by six and a three by six. And I mentioned it's magnetic because the pieces are magnetic. Each player has two sets of six pieces, the white pieces and the black. So both players have white and black pieces and their outline will be a different color depending on the player. Um, but this act, this board is actually elevated a bit because you have pieces on both the top and the bottom. And I did mention that the board was split on a 3x6. So the way the game worked, kind of like an abstract, think of, of it like checkers. You have you move your piece, and then your opponent moves a piece, and you're trying to get rid of your opponent's pieces to win. Right? Checkers, chess, that kind of stuff. Um, but in this one, the one side is the yin board, and the other side is the yang board. And I did mention that it is split. So you actually, one player starts on the yin side and the other player starts on the yang side. And you can move your piece. Your black pieces can only move on the black checkered patterns. And the white pieces can only move on the white. But the white pieces are on one side and the black pieces are on the other. So you can actually do a movement that crosses an opposing space so if you move a black piece through a white space to go to another black spot you actually flip your board the three by six and it changes to the white pieces but now you're going white pieces against the white pieces of your opponent and where the magnetic part comes in of course when you're flipping it the pieces stay on the same side but 
when you move pieces over those other spaces, you can actually catch your opponent's pieces or your own and bring them to the opposing side, as in bringing a white piece to a black space. And that is how you eliminate the pieces from the board. Interesting. So, in theory, it sounds awesome. The problem that I had is that since it is a double, it is two different boards that you can flip individually, you sometimes ended up with the white pieces above the other white pieces. And the way I have the poles of the magnets set up, <laughs> the white pieces under each other would push each other instead of clicking together like the white and black pieces do. <laughs> right, right. And that would be a cool mechanism. And what I thought that I could do to fix this was actually, instead of having that grid pattern, having a grid pattern that has canals on it, and you can actually push the pieces that they wouldn't, you know, sway away and stuff like that. They would go in a continuous line. Right. Um, I don't know how that would look. And prototyping that sounds like a pain because as of now, you just got two magnetic boards and 24 pieces that are magnets. Um, so I kept it simple. So it is something that it worked somewhat, but it wasn't that interesting. And it had that uh, memory element, you know, because you are flipping aside uh, uh, the board and you have these pieces underneath that you can't really remember where they are kind of stuff. And for, a, for an abstract game, sometimes abstract games ask for that perfect information. Not necessarily. Again, it doesn't have to be like that. Well, but it is perfect information, though. It, it's totally... I mean, if you know where the pieces are and you flip it over, yeah, but it's still perfect information. Exactly. It's not your fault. I mean, it's not the game's fault that <laughs> you can't remember. Yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, adding that memory element is something... I think it was a detriment and it, it hurt the game in, in some way. So another thing that I actually thought of was actually cut, not making it two separate boards and you're making it one board, but having the board be vertical... Where you like uh, Connect Four, where you have one opponent see one side and one opponent see the other, but I guess in Connect Four you can see where things are. But in this one, you can flip the board between the two players, so one player always sees half of the board and the other player sees the other half. That could be neat, like in, with like a Connect Four style board where you actually can flip the board, like it pivots, so like I can yeah. just turn the board over. That would be kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, again, that is probably not some something that I could probably prototype pretty easy. Like put some sort of rod on the bottom and have it stationed, and it'd be easy to just rotate around. Yeah, um, I, I think that it, wouldn't be too hard to do. Yeah, it's just again, um, I, I, I'm still struggling to find the that nice tight mechanism that would make the game quick, fun, and. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of uh, a ten-minute, fifteen-minute game that people want to play over and over and over and over. Which is, of course, oh, making a classic. That's that's quite a a, a, a design goal right there. But um, yeah, that's just that's yin yang. If uh, anybody has some some comments, I mean, send me a send me a a, twi a tweet, uh, send an email on BTG. But if you have anything else, Jason, on it. No, I I um I think that the mechanic like I like the idea that you could flip the board so you could see both sides. Um, it's clever though. Uh, I think it's funny that the biggest issue you have right now is that the magnets would push each other away. That's a little funny, but 
No, I agree with you that you need some sort of movement hook that really makes it like, boom, this is it, right? This is how it clicks. And um, yeah, I know what uh, the uh, talking about catching things as you're pulling them around, like and uh, moving them with you and flipping it over. Yeah, I know what it sounds really interesting. So I can I can completely visualize this one. It's not like one where I'm like, what is he describing? Like, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of what I wanted to share because I think it is one of those designs that, again, it is an abstract, simple game in theory that people can can visualize. It's just that it needs it needs some work. I think it's a lot of work on the design part, but in the end product or end game and end design, it's something simple that you should be like, this. How come I never thought of this? Right. This is kind of I'm exactly. in that state where. Yep. I'm rethinking and rethinking and rethinking. I can't, can't come up with anything. So, right. Well, um, before we, we sign off, I wanted to let builders know that, and this will, will be up before then there's going to tantrum con. It's going to be it's a small convention in Spartanburg, South Carolina, you know, tantrum, uh, the, Mm -hmm. the tantrum house, the, the YouTube channel and all that, they're doing this convention, which is actually an hour and a half from me. And nice. Floodgate, Ga- Floodgate Games is one of the uh, sponsors of the convention. And they actually provided uh, the lanyards for the badges. And hold, uh, see and behold, the game on the lanyard is uh, Holy, the Festival oh, of Colors. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and it's funny because the publisher's not going to be there, and I approached the publisher and, and said, well, I can go for for a day or two, and if you send me a, the, the latest uh, copy of the game, I can demo it. You know, it'll be kind of like the the reveal of the game because this this is right. a, it's a pretty sweet uh, uh, game. So I'll be at Tantrum Con on the weekend of the January 31st, to the 2nd of February, I think it is. And I'll be demoing Holy Festival of Colors coming from Floodgate Games uh, awesome. this year. That's super great, man. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we are running out of time here, so I'm going to do the end of the show here. Uh, all right. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on the Twitter at podcastbtg at jaslingerland and... At Hunasaru, J-U-N-A-Z-A-R-U. All right. And you can also find us on Facebook. Uh, I invite you to come back next week for episode 400. We have a really cool surprise cooked up for you. It's going to be an interesting episode with some fun announcements uh, as part of the episode. Spoiler, some fun announcements. (laughs) Uh, And you'll end up going and checking things out uh, after we talk about it. That's that's the hints I'm going to give you. Uh, But there will be uh, several of us on the show next week. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be lots of fun. I promise. So uh, come back and check it out next week. Uh, until then, good night. Buenas noches. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770-TELL-BTG. Please don't use the email. <laughs>